Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. I find in my own life that I don't always stand on the promises in God's Word. And some of it comes from just being a human and things that have happened in your past hurts and, and um, disappointments. And some of the things of people saying they're going to do one thing and they don't follow through. And it's disappointing because sometimes these promises that people make cause us to be disappointed in what, what's going on. And what happens is, is that sometimes that bleeds into our spiritual life with the Lord. But I want to encourage us today that the Lord is different He is other. He is not man. And we should not look at God as we look at other people who have disappointed us in the past. But he wants to show you that he is God and he holds true to his promises all the time. Sometimes we forget that God has chosen us to be servants of his and to see things that we'd never see before there are things that God wants to reveal to us he wants to reveal his power and his glory and his majesty but in order for that to happen we need to stand on his promises and sometimes that's difficult to do sometimes we need to step off the ledge we need to stop this doubting or looking back at our past and how promises are broken God is not that way he's different My wife and I, Lynetta, went to a place called Spicewood, Texas, which is a place where this place called Cypress Canopy Tours, where you go ziplining. Yeah. I'm old and I still do stupid things. (laughs) So we go to this place and they do this little training thing and you're about about a foot off the ground when you get on this cable and you're about this high off the ground and they show you how to break by using your glove and things like that. You're only a foot and a half off the ground. It's great. I'm, I'm all there. That cable, they say, holds 25,000 pounds. But then you walk up the ladder, and now you're 60 feet from the ground, and you say, we will surely die. <laughs> we fall off this thing, it's all over. I needed to step off the ledge. God is so much greater than this cable that held us. But if you do not step off the ledge, you will never experience the promises that God has in his word. And you know, we have to get to this point where we begin to discover who God is and who the truth of what he is. We're going to read some scriptures this morning. We'll tell some stories. Here's the first one. God is not man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will not make it good? The first line, God is not man. We need not to look at him that way. And then this other scripture. For as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Him meaning the Lord Jesus Christ. This is out of 2 Corinthians. In him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. You see, when God begins to reveal himself to you, all the promises in the Lord Jesus Christ are yes. 
They're never a lie. They're never falsities. They're always true and yes. And then through that, he says, and through that very thing, therefore, comes our amen. And we say, yes, God, what you said is true. You see, God is glorified for us who are his believers that we are able to say, yes, I believe everything you say in your word is yes. Therefore, I say amen. I'm going to walk in the way that you'd have me to walk. Yes and amen. He is glorified in that very thing. This Bible, from cover to cover, from the beginning to the end, is truth. It is truth. There's nothing in here that is a lie. Nothing at all. Even in 2 Timothy, we read the scripture that all scripture is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. People are deceived in this world that thinking that this is not all true. I have a guy that came to work with us at CareFlight about two and a half years ago. An intellect, smart dude, man. He's a real nice guy. And we began to speak about our faith. And he began to speak and he said to me, well, I don't know if everything in this is true. You know, it's just stories. Men made these stories up. And then he alluded to the point and he says, I don't believe that God knows everything. Like you say, he's omniscient. I said, wait a minute. First of all, how do you come up with, in your mind, what is true and what is not true in this Bible? How do you do that? And not to know that God knows the end from the beginning? Do you think that God makes it up as he goes? I said, do you know that God had an eternal purpose even before he created the world? That certain things are going to happen at certain times? And that he knew the sins that you were going to commit before you were even born? I said, do you know that Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world? And you don't believe that God knows all these things? I had him on the ropes. And he had nothing to say. You know what he said one thing, though? I think I'd like to continue talking about this. You know why? Because truth changes who we are. Because if you do not believe this Bible from cover to cover is true, if you do not believe on this word of God, you do not have a foundation on which to stand. You will be tossed around by every wave and wind of doctrine and you will have no sure footing. And then when things come in your life, trials and tribulations, you have to think back, is that something I thought was true? Or was it, wait a minute, did man make that up? See, you, get, you will begin to flounder and you will not be able to stand in the midst of the trials that come your way. It is true. It's yes and amen. Loved ones, two things I want to say. The word of God is not true when you believe in it. It's true whether you believe it or not. It is the word of God, so it is true. You don't have to believe in it to make it true. It becomes yours when you believe in it, but it doesn't have to be believed by you in order for it to be true. The other thing is this. Do you know that you do not have to understand Everything fully before you believe in it? When God spoke to Abraham in the 12th chapter of Genesis, and he brings him outside, and he says, Abraham, look at the stars in the heaven. Abraham, show me. If you could see all these stars, 
That's how many your descendants are going to be. You know what the funny thing was? At this point, Abram had no children. Didn't understand how it was going to happen. But listen, he believed God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. He didn't understand it, but yet he believed it. Here's something silly. Listen, I don't know how a microwave works. Don't know. I don't have any clue. I don't know if Adam's bombard the food and it makes it hot. But one thing I know, when that food comes out, it's hot. I don't understand it, but yet I believe that it works, right? It's the same thing with God's word. There was this little news blurb on Fox News one time. They had to do these little mind teasers. And it says this. Before Mount Everest was discovered, what was the tallest mountain in the world? Mount Everest is still 29,035 feet tall. You didn't have to discover it in order to know it. It was always that big. It's the same thing with God's word. God's word is there for us to discover the truths of God. Discover the truths, even though they are true, but now it comes to the point where we need to discover them and look at them. And that is where we have a sure footing. So here's some things for us to do. And I know it works because I do it in my own life. First of all, we need to read the word of God. We need to be disciplined to do that because if you do not know the word of God, how are you going to stand on the promises that you don't know about? You have to stand upon them, but you have to read them first. And then I always pray this, Lord, reveal yourself to me in your word. We do not read this as we read a novel. We read it and depend upon God to open it up to us, to reveal himself in the word so that we will see him. And then I say, show me me in the word of God. Who am I in the body of Christ? What have you done for me? What are the blessings that I have in the beloved? Why did you choose me? All these things are wonderful things. Let God, but also, Lord, Show me if there's any hurtful way in me. Show me the things that I need to change in my life. And then last I say, Holy Spirit, make this alive to me. Take the logos and make it rhema, that it's alive and living and inside of us, that we be able to stand in the midst of a trial because you can stand upon the rock and now you have a firm footing. But we need that. We need it. But we have to be disciplined. And read his word. Listen to this guy, Alistair Begg. He's one of my favorite guys who uh, preaches. He says this. The eternal truths of God are not available to us by our own unaided comprehension. I'm going to say it one more time so you can write it down. The eternal truths of God are not available to us by our own unaided comprehension. There is no intellectual root to the knowledge of God by thinking it out, by our intellect. It is God who reveals himself to us so that we can believe. God is wanting to get us to a point when we read his word and we search it out in that way and you begin to read and God begins to open up our eyes and he pulls back the curtain of heaven and you begin to see more and more of him. Then you become powerful and that's the rock on which we stand. Pete spoke to us about 
probably a month ago, about reading the Word of God. And he made a suggestion and said, you should try to read a psalm every day to you so that you can study. And God begins to reveal himself to you in reading the psalm. So me and my guys in our, small group, in our accountability group, I said, you know what? Instead of just going to breakfast and just talking about things that come up in our lives, why don't we grab a psalm every single time we meet together? So every week, one person would be in charge of reading the psalm. We'd know the psalm he's going to read, and then we would study it too. And then we come there, he would facilitate it, and we'd begin to speak. You know what? It's changed us. We just started doing it. But I'm telling you, God sees our heart. We're not talking about only about our jobs and, and how we hate our jobs sometimes. But he is also seeing that we're looking for him. Even in the first psalm it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, and you'll bear fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in everything you do, you prosper. That's promises. They're truth. You just do have to do one thing. God is asking us to do one thing. Meditate on his word. He does the rest. He's the one who firmly plants you by streams of water. He firmly plants. That means he stomps around the roots to make sure you're seated in this one place where the fount of God comes from his throne and fills you up with life. And then you begin to produce fruit. And the fruit is for other people to eat. And you are green, always full of life. And in everything you do, you prosper. Promise. He promises it. telling you God is so good sometimes I'm amazed and yet I balk at his promises there's a reason why we study the word the spirit will energize you you'll be able to do great things for God you'll be able to further the kingdom of God you'll be able to stand in the midst of a trial and God takes that word and makes it alive. But here's the thing. The word causes us to come to know the Holy Spirit. Listen to what God says in his word. This is Christ praying to his father in John 17, the high priestly prayer. And look what he says here. Sanctify them, Father, in Truth, your word is truth. You see, just by us reading the word, that doesn't sanctify us. It takes the energizing of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to make you holy. Sanctification means that you're being set apart. You're going to be holy unto the Lord. Sanctification, set you apart for God's pleasure and use. When he makes you holy, you are uncommon. You have a different spirit in you. And God begins to set you apart from the world. And you see him as the one who rules and reigns and leads you. Remember, the Holy Spirit leads you into all truth. Even things that you don't understand. He leads you into all truth. Promise. I want to illustrate this by telling some stories. When God was going to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt... Moses, who is now hated by Pharaoh because he killed one of these Egyptians, goes and he's shepherding his father-in-law's flock in Midian. And while he is there, 
God catches attention by the burning bush. And he sees this bush, and it's burning, it's not being consumed. And he says, Moses, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry, and I'm going to deliver them. First of all, the promise was made back in Genesis. When he spoke to Abraham and he says, my people will be in bondage for 400 years and then they'll be set free. This is the fulfillment of the promise. And now he's speaking it to Moses and say, hey, this is it. This is the time. I already promised it. Now it's going to come to fruition. Promise. And he says, Moses, you're going to be the instrument that I'm going to use to bring them out to a spacious land, to a land that's flowing with milk and honey, to the land that is occupied by the Hittites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and all the rest of the ites. The thing is, God didn't leave that out. There's an important reason. God didn't say, hey, by the time you get there, I'm going to kill them all. And you just go in there, bury the dead, and you can take their houses. He never said that. Because he wanted to demonstrate his power through them. And Moses says, you're going to use me? Who am I that you use me? I'm going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go? Are you kidding me? Do you know me? I can barely speak, and you're going to want me to go speak to Pharaoh? Listen, saints. Very, very important word that happens right here. He says this, Moses, I will certainly be with you. You hear that? Was the promise fulfilled? Yes, it was. At this point, Moses now has been told what he has to do. And the thing is, is that he's a little nervous, but yet he's standing on the promise that God will certainly be with me. So now Moses now is going to go to Pharaoh and he's going to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. But why did God harden Pharaoh's heart all those times? You see, he knew they were going to go into the promised land where all the ites were, right? They're going to go into this promised land and there's going to be fighting and a battle. But he wanted to show them that there is a distinction between God's people and the people of the world. They would never know it if God didn't show them the signs in Egypt. He needed to show them there's a distinction. You are the apple of my eye. You are my special treasure. You are different than the people of Egypt. And I'm going to prove it to you. Because you know what? If we're not proven by God, if God does not show us, it's very hard to stand on his promises. We needed to see, even in our own lives, about the distinction of who we are, the called and the chosen of God, before we can stand upon the truth. Then come the signs and the wonders. The water turned into blood. The gnats, the insects, the pestilence, the boils, the darkness, the hail. And then finally... God is going to kill all the firstborn in Egypt unless you have blood, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lentil. And all these things that happened to all of Egypt, at the very end, you know what God says in Exodus, the 11th chapter, he says this, but not even a dog shall bark against the children of Israel. 
in the land of Goshen. None of this is going to take place just because of the blood of the Lamb. Was the promise fulfilled? Yes. All that stuff was going on, but not to the children of Israel. Promise. They finally leave Egypt. Now comes to the part where what I want to speak about today. Big lead on to what I'm going to do here. In this part in the book of Numbers, God is going to begin to send the spies into the land to spy out the land. And I want us to read this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of the father's tribes. Every one of them is a leader among them. A leader. Every one of them were leaders. They spy out the land for 40 days. They go in this land. And the last part of the place where they go is to this valley of Eshcol. And in the valley of Eshcol, this was a time when the grapes were in harvest. And they were saying that the grapes weighed between 15 to 20 pounds, a cluster of grapes. You find that in Tom Tom? And it's carried between two poles. And they go back. And now they're going to speak to Moses of what they saw. Thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly flows with milk and honey. And his, this is the fruit. Stop there for a second. Promise fulfilled. They even said, the spies who were talking to Moses even said, yeah, it definitely has milk and honey and look at the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites. Oh, they were there. Moses knew about them too. He told them all about the Ites and here they are. Living by the sea and, and by the Jordan. You see, everything that God said is coming there. But listen to what else is said. I don't have this on. I didn't want to put it on screen. I just wanted to read this part. And it says this. But the men who had gone up with him, with Caleb, said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land with which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone, in spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There are also this, we saw the Nephilim, these giant men in the land. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in that sight. Now listen. Everything is great until it comes to that word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, even though you brought us through all those things that happened in Egypt and not even a dog barked against us, and you come and we go across the Red Sea and you part an ocean, nevertheless, we can't do this. We can't do it because, you know what, even though we saw all those things, these people are big. They're, they're giants. They have walled cities. We're never going to be able to take it in. They go through this whole thing, and they say, nevertheless, even though you were good to us, and, and you've blessed us all this time, and you gave us manna in the wilderness, and you made the waters of Mara sweet, and you've done all these things, nevertheless, I don't think, I, we can't do this. Do you have neverthelesses in your life? All that God has done for us, 
called us out of darkness, taken us off the slippery ground and put us upon a rock. We are now going to live forever. And we say, when God says something to us, nevertheless, we can't do this. Even God was disappointed. He says, you have spurned me ten times. And he listed all these things that God had seen, the people had seen God's glory and his power and his majesty. And yet they still say, nevertheless. That's why we don't stand on the promises of God. Disbelief of a promise is forfeiture of the benefit of it. Why did God, why did Israel, I'm sorry, balk at the promises? Here lies the problem. We, the church, just like them, we can't just look at them and point fingers. We cannot look at God through our circumstances. We need to look at our circumstances through God. Because when you look at God through your circumstances, here's your circumstances. You can't see God through the mayhem that you are going through, the trial that you may be going through, an illness, a loss of a job, and all these things, these circumstances are just looming in front of your eyes, and you can barely see God. But God is wanting us to look at our circumstances through God. Because you see, the thing is, they are grasshoppers in His sight. They can't fight against God. They are unable to because God is almighty and full of power, full of majesty, full of glory. They have no chance to stand against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is that true? It's a promise. God says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will certainly be with you. In the midst of the storm, I am with you. Listen to what Caleb says here. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, listen to this. This is a guy who I want to be. We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we surely will overcome it. How did the same people, ten of them, see one thing, and Joshua and Caleb see something else? You know why? They stood upon the promise. Listen to this part. I love this part. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You see what he says there? About this matter of rebelling. Rebellion comes on the tail of fear. But because they're men, they'll rebel. But it's all coming from fear. If you stand in fear, instead of going through, you rebel. And you never experience what God wants to do with me and you. God may be asking us in this auditorium, individually and corporately, to go somewhere. And we don't go because we're fearful. Nevertheless, all these men were leaders, and yet so different. But then God speaks, and listen to what God says. Man, he's doing this. 
to Caleb right now. This is what he's doing. And he's making everybody know it. He says this, By, but my servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit. What does that mean? He has the spirit of God inside of him. He is wanting to do what God wants to do, and he is at it, man. He wants to go in there and beat this group up and has followed me fully. In other versions, it says he's followed me wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely. He is sold out for God. I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. In the end, the story says this. Every one of the men who were 20 years and older died in the wilderness because they spurned the Lord 10 times. Only my servant Caleb and Joshua will enter into the Holy Land, you and your descendants, because they followed him fully or wholly. See, Caleb knew the promise. He was just standing on it. Remember, he said... We shall by all means go up and take the land. We shall certainly overcome. God has called us to be overcomers. And if you do not stand on the promise of God, you will be disappointed in the end because you have not experienced the might and the glory and power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life and the walk that we're walking now. Caleb spoke these words for three reasons. He had full conviction of the truth. Fully convinced what God said is true. Fully. He had a firm belief in the divine promise. See, they're going into the promised land. There was a purpose. You were going from the desert and from slavery in Egypt. We're going to bring you into the promised land. That was the purpose. He he had a firm belief that that's where they were going and that's why they were going. And he was confident in the power of God. It wasn't his strength. It wasn't his strength. It was God. I like to just read some things here that is so important for us to see and what it says here in Numbers in the 14th chapter in the, these verses. Listen to what it says here. Then all the congregation lifted their voices and cried and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in Egypt or would we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into the land so that we would fall by the sword and our wives and our little ones would become plunder? Would it not be better if we just return to Egypt? You know what they're saying? I'd rather be dead to stand on the promises of God. I'd rather not be fearful. I'd rather not go there. I'd rather go back to slavery than to follow you. That's sad, but yet we do it. We do it today. You'd rather go back to your old life where it wasn't so much problems between the spirit and the flesh fighting and all the time. We have to get to the point where we stand on that promise and we experience the power of it and only two guys and their families experienced. Imagine that. You would actually think that God would bring you to a place where you're going to die. Oh, they're going to kill us with swords. Our kids will, and wives will be plundered. What type of vision of God do we have? I'm not saying that we don't have trials, but he cares for us. Even though we saw all that the Lord has done, I'd rather be a slave. Are we fearful? You see that fear leads to rebellion. 
but we balk at his promises. Remember, God's promises are yes and amen in him. But here's this other part. Before we came to know Christ, we didn't have an enemy. We didn't have Satan on our tail doing things because we were doing everything he wanted us to do. If it feels good, do it. All those things that were happening, we were fine with it. And Satan, he had no, he says, that's my boy. When you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you got an arch enemy. And he'll do anything to thwart God's purpose in your life. He's going to be on you. And he's going to try to stop you from doing what God would have you to do. In our small group, we started studying the armor of God in Ephesians in the sixth chapter. And it speaks about this armor of God, putting, uh, girding your loins with truth, uh, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, shodding your feet with the preparation of the gospel, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, which we are able to extinguish the fiery darts of the devil. Why would Paul tell us about armor? You mean we're going to be in a fight? Yeah, you're going to be in a fight. And first of all, you have to know it's God's armor, not yours. You're not going to be able to do anything against the enemy because he is a very powerful foe. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But you have to put all the armor on because when you wake up in the morning... You're going to be in a battle. That's why on the bottom of those shoes there were cleats so that you could stand firm. Paul says if you've done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore. You're in a battle. Get ready. You're going to fight. We need that. No soldier in active duty entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who called you. God called us to be his soldiers. God called us to be those ones who fight the fight. But it's by the power of the Holy Spirit and his might that we hold the sword and we wield it in such a way that we can fight the enemy. It is the word of God is that sword of the Spirit. When you've done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore. This is in 2 Peter. And besides this, this is King James. I'm using this version because it says something very important here. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and virtue to your knowledge. That word, first of all, diligence, be steadfast about your faith. Stand upon it and say, this is who I've been called to do by standing in faith. Be diligent. But then he says this, add to your faith virtue. You know what that word means in the, in the Greek? Add to your faith virtue. Courage and valor. You know, even knowing that God is with us, I will certainly be with you, right? It still needs to be enhanced by courage. You need to be courageous because when the storm is brewing and the wind is blowing and you're in the battle, you still need to stand on your faith but add courage to it. And the courage is this. He's standing right with you. That's your courage. You'll be able to fight the good fight of faith through courage. Faith and courage go together, and then it's knowledge. You get to know him in that battle. When you're fighting that fight, you begin to see the power of God standing with you. And you'll be victorious. You'll be an overcomer. You'll be more than conquerors if you stand on that truth. But in order to do it, we need to know his word. 
And you know what you do with, when you know God's word? As you're in the midst of the battle, speak the word back to yourself. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake me. I know that he won't leave me. I know he's here with me. God is my strength and my uh, very source of help in trouble. He is everything I need to be. You begin to speak those words. And when you speak those words, faith is enhanced. And now you've got the courage to stand in the midst of the fight. Unbelief paralyzes the arm of God. He can't do it. But he's so wanting to reveal himself and show you his great power. But it takes that whole thing of being just standing on it. But here in the end, we'll speak about in Joshua. This is the end result of who Caleb was. Then the sons of Judah draw near to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, to Joshua, You know the Lord, which the, the word which the Lord had spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me. See, they're brothers. They're the ones who stood in faith. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me at Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back everything that was in my heart. You see, it was in his heart. He knew that they would be victorious. But nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the people's heart melt. When we don't stand on the word of God, you know, other people become weakened too by what we confess. Then it says this. This is... The best part of all. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years. From the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses and when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I'm 85 years old today. And I am still as strong as I was in the day of Moses and sent me. And my strength was then and my strength is now for war, for going out and coming in. 85 years old and he's ready to go to war ready to go fight the fight. He's going to this mountain that Moses had promised him. And listen to what it says here. Now then give me this hill country, which is about the Lord had spoke on that day. For you heard that on that day the Anakim were there. He's saying, send me where the giants are because I know who I believe in. He's going to go against the Nephilim. But he says, send me. I'm 85, it doesn't matter because my strength is still the same. You see, when we walk According to his promises, we are strengthened in our inner man, and we are victorious. You know that guy, Caleb, at 85 years old? Anybody see that movie Braveheart? Do you remember the old guy who came along with his son to fight? Some old crotchety old guy. Man, he was a fighter. He had painted his face just like his son. He was one of the guys. And he went in there, he got shot by an arrow, and he snapped it off. I'm saying... That's Caleb. Amazing. But that's who he is. That's who Caleb was. He was about the Lord and doing his will. I'll close with this. F.B. Meyer says this. He who rests on Christ stands in the focal point of certainty and assurance. Now listen. Not one good thing shall fail him of all that has been promised. All that he has promised you. You will not fail. Do you have neverthelesses in your life? Have you been fearful like me at times? Take God as his word and you will be victorious and God will be glorified and God will do this. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray.
Lord, we just thank you for your written word. These stories just strengthen us, Lord. We see that during these times when men were in battle, that you were victorious and you were certainly with them. Lord, I pray as we leave this place today that we would take hold of that truth, stand upon that rock of truth, and that we would be victorious and that you would be glorified and that your church would move in the direction that you have called it to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.